We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini-episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. As always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Avery Truffleman, the host of the podcast The Cut from New York Magazine, as well as Nice Try, a podcast from Curbed about utopian experiments. Avery, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is totally terrifying. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that we've got someone with a background in utopia. I think that's going to be very, very helpful. Uh, do you have you all gotten to that old subplot on Cheers where Lilith leaves Frasier to go live in a bubble? No, no, no. I can't imagine it turns out well. I think that was my first encounter with the idea of utopia. The second was um, <laughs> in Drew Barrymore's Ever After, where her favorite book or her only book, rather, is Thomas More's Utopia. Wow. I mean, these are I don't know. Those sound like pretty fitting first impressions of Utopia. I mean, it basically sounds like that cheer subplot was the precursor to uh, Biodome. Like, it, yes. it kind of has Oh, it was very much. Yeah. I, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, Lilith invented Biodome. I'm actually fairly sure there was a real-life Biodome project in either Arizona or New Mexico that the Lilith thing was based on. But That's actually uh, one of the episodes of the podcast. Oh, man. Okay. And— and yet you didn't get into the cheers element. Come on. I, oh, there's a crucial element missing. Thank you for pointing out this gap in my research. It means a lot. <laughs> when you when you do a, a, a corrections episode, I'm happy to come on as a cheers expert. Truly? 100%. 100%. I think about that show all the time, especially because the extended version of the theme song uh, mentions trans people, which is not really? something that you get a lot of in. Uh, yes, yes. I will, <laughs> I will send you the lyrics <laughs> later. Not, you know... Not cheerfully, exactly. Um, not not. It's it's more of the sense of like, oh, and there's another problem that you have to think about, which is trans people. So you should come down to the bar. But uh, you know, it's it's still a shout out, which uh, it's not nothing. <laughs> and um, anyways, I'm just doing this because today's questions are really thorny, and uh, part of me has wanted to just avoid it forever. But we can't. We have to help these people, even though their problems are really hard. They're so hard. This is, I mean, it's a nice thing to be distracted. Like, I couldn't sleep last night, and the world is so hard right now. And it's horrifying and simultaneously gratifying to know that some people have, have it extremely hard right now. I wouldn't wish these problems on anyone I know. I also would, well, mm, ah. depends, it depends on how we define <laughs> people we know. Uh, anyways, the point is, you should read our first letter. It's your turn. You get to do okay. it. I'm thrilled to hand it off to you. 
Okay, subject. My new coworker is engaged to my controlling ex. Dear Prudence, my office has hired a number of new people since we started working from home. I've never met Kate in person, but we've worked together since she joined my team in April, and we get along well. Recently, our team shared some family photos in our Slack channel, which is how I found out she's engaged to my ex-fiancé, Oliver. I dated him for four years. He disapproved of my friends for things like having tattoos, guilted me for having hobbies that didn't include him, and eventually put key-logging software on my computer and a tracking device on my car. He also hacked my cell phone to delete messages and emails from people he didn't trust. All of this was for my own good and because I wasn't paying enough attention to him. I left in the middle of the night because even though he never physically threatened me, finding the tracking devices scared me. He tried to change my mind for the next six months, but my friends and family helped shield me and I moved a lot so he couldn't find me. That was six years ago. Would I be a bad person if I don't tell Kate about Oliver? We're not friends, just coworkers, and it's possible Oliver has changed. It's possible Kate knows about his past behavior. I don't want to be inappropriate or make assumptions, but I would want to know this information. I'm worried about Oliver learning that I'm Kate's coworker. I'm not sure what to do, and it's eating me up. <laughs> That's so yes. intense. I it is extremely intense, and I am just mostly so 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 sorry that the letter writer is in this position at all because. God, if there's one thing you would think you could reasonably expect after moving away repeatedly from your controlling ex, it's we're done. I'm not going to run into someone who's part of his life someday. Right, right. The, this is like an extraordinary, yeah, odd circumstance. So I just wonder how much interaction this person has had with Kate, you know, like to what, how deep their conversation has already gone as coworkers and acquaintances. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I take the the bit about... um. I've never met Kate in person, but we get along well to mean something along the lines of we're friendly colleagues, but we really don't talk a lot about our personal lives. And so it was only when everyone did a brief, like here's some family pictures thing recently that I learned even that she was engaged. So yeah. I, I, I'm not I'm not getting a read there of like, wow, we're really close and this will really affect our interactions. I think because this is very thorny and complicated, I want to stay really focused on what's the most important priority for the letter writer here. And I think for the letter writer, it is self-protection. So I understand your concern for Kate. I do. But this is a person who stalked you uh, and put a tracking device on your car. So for you, I think your, your biggest priority needs to be making sure that Oliver does not learn anything about where you are or what you're doing. And so that should inform, I think, how you go ahead. And and that should be your highest priority. Does that make sense? Does that seem reasonable? It, it feels to me like a real case of you have to put your oxygen mask on first, which is not not a phrase that I always agree with. But, but in this case, it seems really obvious you can't help Kate if you yourself are in danger. Yeah, that's a really, really, really good point. I mean, it's just going to be so... I mean, of course, my mind is skipping like many chapters ahead to when they meet in person. Will there be an office Christmas party? You know, like, should people know about this history so it's not a complete surprise? You know, I, I feel like there's this layer of remote work protection now, but I just wonder how this will play out down the road. Yeah. And part of me thinks, OK, if that's the case, does it make sense to talk to your like if it weren't for the fact that Kate were your 
new coworker, if it was simply like somehow through work, you were, you had reason to believe that Oliver was about to learn something about how to get in touch with you, yeah. I would probably suggest share that information with your boss so that you could say like, I'm taking steps to protect myself or take out a restraining order if I have to. But in the meantime, if this person tries to get any of my contact information, please know that that's my abusive ex, which I, I would also understand you don't really want to share with your boss, but might be necessary. But when it's in the context of that would also then affect your ability to work with Kate, that becomes really, really fraught. And I can imagine why you would not want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, this person is so sweet, though. I really do appreciate that they're looking, that they want to warn Kate and they want Kate to be okay. Of course. It's just such a thorny situation. Like, of course, I wish that they could, like, get lunch sometime or, but that's also, right, to protect her is to put this this person at risk. So, yeah, I think you're right. I, I yeah. guess it would be to keep their head down for now. Yeah, I, I guess, too, before I, I settle on that one for sure, I want to think through your other options. You know, your, one option is to talk to your boss and ask for confidential help, maybe even getting reassigned, because I really don't see how you're going to be able to comfortably and safely work with Kate in the long run. Um, and that's hard. And I don't love giving that as a possible answer. I don't want that to be the case, especially because Kate hasn't done anything wrong. But I just also want to acknowledge that the the toll it would take on you, you know, months and months and months from now, especially if you do eventually go back in the office to keeping this a total secret and dealing with it on your own, I just think is too much. It's not sustainable. This is just such a, a an unlikely, incredible situation. I'm almost, uh, this is probably the wrong answer, but I just wonder if it's, I don't know. Never mind. I was going to say, what if it would be, what What if like deepening a friendship with Kate in some way would then make this person someone Kate could turn to if Kate was in trouble? But then that's like an uneven, that's a terrible idea because this person knows things that Kate doesn't know. So never mind. That would ultimately be sort of like deceptive. So <laughs> I think I'm you're right to, to let that impulse go. I mean, I get that. I sometimes have impulses when I'm giving advice that feel like I wish that this would work. Um, so, so, you know. You, you you got there. I wouldn't worry too much about it. But uh, uh, again, like in in some ways, you are uniquely unqualified to help Kate because you know <laughs> that if Oliver knows anything about you, you will be in danger. Yeah, um, yeah. In, in a way that another person might not be. So yeah, your options as I see them are go to your boss, assuming that you trust your boss and say, I hate having to come to you with this. Um, I don't like having to share any of this information, but I need you to know that this, this person's fiance is my former stalker. And um, I need you to know that because in case he's ever at a company event, I need to not be there or mm. you need to make sure that if he ever tries to get information, he can't. And then the, the downsides of that, of course, is then your workplace has to try to like secretly make accommodations about a stalker without informing Kate. That doesn't really work well. The other option is to tell your boss and also tell Kate so that you can say like, I, I need to either be transferred or or Kate needs to be transferred, which is, huh. again, hard on you and potentially embarrassing. And then the other option is quietly look for another job, which simply sucks yeah. um, and is not easy to do even under the best of circumstances. And this is so not the best of circumstances. So I don't like any of those. I I I feel bad. I guess the other option is ask advice of a lot of people, including a, like a therapist and some specialists on dealing with past stalkers, because at least right now, you know, as long as you're working from home, um, you can buy yourself a little time and 
But like, what if Kate already knows your last name? What if Kate mentions oh, it? Oh, God. I know. And that's the thing that makes me so sad. That's like, oh, you two could really, you could find solace in each other. You could be really helpful, but that's just not how these things work. Yeah. I'm so sorry to be so stuck on this one. I think before I just end up chasing my own tail, I'll just say, I don't have a good final answer to this one yet. I want to revisit this in in next week's podcast. And in the meantime, I'm going to try to speak to some experts in, <laughs> in like workplace safety um, yeah. and try to get a sense of what they would say. Because I just, I, I feel like I gave a bad couple of answers to this one. And so thank you for slogging through this one with me. All I know to say to this letter writer is look out for your own safety first and foremost. Um, I know that you want Kate to be safe too, but um, you've just, a guy who was putting a tracking device on your car is not a guy that you can assume is just better now. I think your advice is 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 pretty sound, especially considering like most of the things that first sprang to mind for me were just like subplots from nine to five, which is not a good idea. Like the most cinematic response is not the most helpful, equitable or safe response. So but I, I understand that like <laughs> the 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 utopian ideal there is the idea of solidarity and and support um and and people banding together <laughs> to take on, you know, abusive men with too much power. So I, I also get why that appeals in this moment. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. The reason that I'm relieved sort of to move on to this next letter is it feels like a, a version of this question that we can maybe come up with an answer to. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm a little more optimistic that we can say something concrete here. And to that end, I will start reading the letter. The subject here is my ex works in my industry. Help. Dear Prudence, my ex-boyfriend and I dated for a couple of years and have been breaking up for just as long. Every time I try to move forward, it's like he can sense it and he tries to find a way back in, only for us to return to the same toxic patterns. We work in the same industry and have mutual friends, so I have to see him or hear about him often. Our most recent encounter was the last straw. Nothing particularly new happened. He insulted me and lied about the same things he's been lying about forever, and I became the worst version of myself in response. It's over. I know that it has to be, and I want to make a real attempt at finally moving on. But what I can't seem to move on from is how he is perceived in our industry by people I respect. He's a master manipulator and deeply insecure and cares more about acquaintances in our industry liking his tweets than what his friends, family, or partners think. This is one of the main reasons we broke up. Although I do understand that this, quote, flame, sorry, 
<laughs> I'm laughing because I have a fake fireplace uh, that's like um, a little light bulb and some foil and then like Oh, so your fake flame logs. is literally fleeting in a facade. That's great. <laughs> and I was, yes, I was looking at it because uh, my, my dog was very afraid of it at first and now he thinks it's the most wonderful uh, chew toy in the world. And so he's just been <laughs> gnawing on a pretend fire for the last five minutes and um, really feels, really feels uh, poignant. Mm, totally. Anyways, all of which is to say, fame is fleeting in a facade. It upsets me that he can treat women the way he does while also advocating for women's rights publicly and being praised for it, which means that ultimately he'll never address it privately. One example of this is that months into our breakup, he hung out with the person also in our industry who had abused me before we dated because that person was a desirable person to hang out with for his career. When I confronted him, he became defensive, blaming me for stalking his photos. The photo was public and someone sent it to me. Though I should have ended all communication then, I didn't. And in moments of guilt, he'll use this previous abuse as an excuse to check in on me, asking if a news story about abuse had, quote, triggered me, which I find in itself triggering. I know I need to just move on, but it's like I'm frozen by this notion that he'll never have to take accountability for his actions while receiving all the public praise. I've been consumed with saying something, but worry that it will only hurt my career. He is more established than I am in our industry. Should I? Ooh, this is so real. This is such a thing. This one, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on here. And um, I think the concern at the end um, about what possible effects might this have on my own career is real. And Totally. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with making strategic professional decisions. Beyond that, do you feel like there's there's a really clear next step here? Well, I mean, I'm really glad that this person understands what they must do. Like they, they're like, it's over, it's done. I have to just like cut things off. But I can't tell. It seems like they're still sort of in the process of puzzling through that, and they haven't cut things off just yet. And I just feel as though mm-hmm. that needs to happen first. And this secondary yeah. step of like, well, then do I say something? I mean, it's kind of similar to the first question. And like, well, then do I say something about? You know, I have to protect myself, but do I? I have to put my mask on and then do I help other people put theirs on? And yeah, it just sounds like step one is get away, get off Twitter for a second. Like in the words of Fiona Apple, this world is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what industry this person is in. It definitely sounds similar to media and similar to experiences I've had in media. And I just think that getting outside of this little bubble of of prestige and these circles and these people who are supposedly advantageous. Like, it's so small. I don't know. I feel like this person needs to go, like, look at a mountain for a little bit and just get get some space. I think that that's the right first move. You know, in the last letter, there was that, that we had the really concrete examples of, like, deeply, deeply concerning and abusive behavior, like yeah. tracking her software, isolating her from her friends, like tagging, tracking her car. And that's not to say like, oh, I'm ranking how bad these exes are and yours isn't that bad. I just mean because there's not the same element of danger. I think that the good news there is that, as you say, you have a little time to consider and reflect on what you want. And so there's not, I think, the same obligation of, oh my gosh, I'm worried that he's going to be, you know, secretly reading all of his new fiance's uh, text messages right now. Right. So you at least have that pressure off of you. And then, yeah, as you were saying, the the letter writer is like, I know something needs to change. I think I'm ready for that change. And that question now is, of course, 
well, how do I change things? Because all that's all that's different right now is I'm feeling very connected to my anger. The situation is still the same. I, I know he is still the same and will continue to try to reach out to me. We still work in the same industry. I still have to hear about him. So I don't know what I can do differently to make sure that we don't just keep running into each other again. So that, I think, is the question you have to ask yourself right now, which is, what can I do to change that? I mean, I feel like, who's to say what the future holds? But I also wonder if this person should write down everything that they would say if they were to make this knowledge public just so that they don't forget, you know, just so that they don't Mm. slide into a pleasant professional complacency. Like it's, you know, if they want to let bygones be bygones, so be it. But I don't know. They shouldn't forget what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would, as always, especially in a situation like this, I would say write it down with a therapist, with the help of a therapist, talk it through with a therapist. Certainly, if a lot of your friends have been, you know, I I realize you can't arrange your, your professional life such that you never hear about him, but certainly I think you can say to your friends, I would really appreciate it if you would not send me like links to events that he's doing or give me updates. I'm trying to really move on from that relationship and I'd appreciate your help, you know, to whatever extent it's possible, um, putting up something of a firewall between us. I I think that that would be helpful. And, and I hope that your friends would be able to do that. Really the problem here is like, I don't like this guy and I don't (laughs) like the way things ended between us. And I don't like the fact that we kept getting back together, even though I didn't like the way that he treated me. And like, then there's that sense of like, how can that happen? Like, how can it be that he just goes on and other people will like him? And part of that, I think, is really just the pain of a breakup. And part of what you're experiencing right now is just that frustration of he's gotten his way, it feels like, so many times that I just can't stand the idea that he's going to be able to move on and be happy. And part of that's really understandable. And I think part of that is also what's been keeping you two locked in this, like, he reaches out, then you reach out, then he reaches out, then you reach out. um, and, And that you say you become the worst version of yourself. I don't know what that looks like, but it seems like part of it has to do with this idea of if I feel like it's not possible for him to just go on and live his life and have other people think well of him. I can't let that happen. And yet I know I can't really stop that from happening. Mm. You know, where, where can I, how can I imagine myself having power? Um, And that's where the idea of like, well, maybe I just tell everyone. And then there's that question of what would I talk about? How would that work for me? Um, What would I, what would be my hope to get out of that? Those are important questions. And again, I think talking about them with a therapist will be really helpful. And it doesn't mean you have to make a decision one way or the other right now. It just means you're saying, I'm not ready to do that today. Yeah. And it's such a painful thing when someone's persona doesn't align with their personality and you see them out there in public displaying the best version of themselves being whatever, a vocal, vocal feminist ally, et cetera, et cetera. And then you know that that's not their truth. That's absolutely a horrible, horrible feeling and like adds a different dimension, like the public facing nature of this relationship and like the inner shell, the the outer shell and the inner gooey stuff is is kind of hard to square and something that makes it different than the other question. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think you you can, again, can continue to reflect on that. You do not have to make a permanent decision today. Um, mostly I think what you need is to figure out what needs to change in my life so that I do not do this again with him. 
um, so that the next time he does something that drives me nuts, like check in because he read a news <laughs> article, um, which of course that drives you nuts. That would drive me nuts too, is figure out what do I need to do to make sure that I do not take that bait, that I don't try to engage with him, that I don't try to make him feel bad about himself or good about himself. I just, I am not a person who talks to him. Um, and, and to pursue that first and, and then beyond that, um, once you, once you don't have so much of your time and energy being taken up by him, you may find you want to prioritize your time and energy towards something else entirely. You may find that you want to write down and reflect on what happened. You may find that you want to say some version of something to some people, but not necessarily like take out a, an ad and skywriting. <laughs> You'll have options. But the good news is you never have to listen to his bullshit check in again. Like you can just say, you know what? I'm never going to answer another one of those fucking check-ins of like, hey, I saw a news story about something bad that happens to women sometimes. How you doing? Um, <laughs> you just give yourself the gift of he's never going to find out how I'm doing on that subject again. That's all I got for this one. Do you have any other thoughts? No, I just, yeah, I think like space is the first thing and it's one of the tiny, I mean, I hate when people talk about the silver lining of a pandemic, but like, I don't know where this person lives, but no matter where, they're, they're at the the odds of running into this person are greatly lessened by the by the moment we all live in. So this is the perfect opportunity to gather up the courage to take the space. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to set up a social media firewall about somebody than it is an in-person firewall. Yes. Shall I read the next one? Please do. Oh man. Oh, this Ooh. one kills me. Okay. Man, this is this is quite the slate. This is quite the slate, Danny. Uh, okay, subject, retroactive lesbian guilt. Dear Prudence, I grew up in a conservative family that believed homosexuality was a choice, and nobody ever talked about sexuality or consent with me. My mom refused to let me attend sex ed classes because they weren't going to be abstinence only. Now I'm in my 30s, living alone, finally ready to admit that I'm a lesbian. I feel so relieved, but also worried because I keep thinking about drunkenly kissing mostly straight girls in college, some of whom I'm still friends with today. Honestly, I used to think straight girls just liked kissing other girls when they had a few drinks and that everyone felt that way. Usually the other girls made the first move. One friend, now married to a man, even joked about straight girls lezzing out one night when we were kissing, which reinforced my belief. Now that I'm considering how to come out, I'm terrified of creating the impression that I was intentionally taking advantage of them years ago, regardless of who made the first move. Many of us are survivors, myself included, and I feel racked with guilt over the idea that I kissed them without establishing clear consent beforehand, especially knowing what I know now about my sexuality. What should I do? Stay in the closet? Apologize to the ones I'm still friends with and risk it being super awkward between us? Or leave it be, since it was almost a decade ago now? Nobody ever mentioned feeling uncomfortable, and we never did anything more than kiss, but I feel terrible, and I don't know how to resolve this. I won't be able to see my therapist until mid-December, so I'm grappling with this on my own for now. Um, well, I've got an idea, but then again, this might just be my, my, my utopian uh, mindset kicking in, but I'm curious to know what you think. I mean, to me, this, this feels so much—to uh, the, the, me, the first sentence says it all— um, that, I, you know, I grew up in a family that said homosexuality was a choice. And of course, the implication there is it's the bad choice. Um, and uh, nobody ever talked about sexuality or consent with me. So the fact that in college, me and some of my friends occasionally kissed and they, you know, often initiated 
made fun jokes about it. Um, now, because I'm a lesbian, years later, it suddenly means I'm an evil predator. Yeah. Um, and, and I should hate myself and I should consider not coming out because I'm so um, contaminated with gayness that uh, I've ruined those moments. It just breaks my heart. Um, I, that's where I'm coming from with this letter. I, I read this as just pure homophobia start to finish. Oh. Um and, and so that's me. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. So I, I I doubt you could be too utopian if anything about your answer was going to be something like, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. I just feel like this is one of the cases where like the advice I wanted to give in the first letter actually might apply. Like, I think it's just worth calling, calling this person's friends and being like, hey, I want to tell you something. This is kind of hard for me to say for many reasons, but I wanted to tell you personally that after a lot of thought and consideration, I've realized that I'm I'm queer or I'm a lesbian. And I wanted to check in because, you know, we had these encounters in college. And um, at the time, I didn't think much of them. But in hindsight, you know, they suddenly feel different to me now. Well, this is not the right way to say it. But like, just being really honest about where you're at and being like, I feel I feel guilty. I don't want you to think that I knew all along, but I want to tell other people and I wanted to be upfront with you first as I'm kind of, I wanted to grab, like I feel like you can grapple with this together rather than painting yourself as the enemy, you know, the, the sort of evil uh, lesbian predator preemptively. I, I feel like this is something you can work on with your friends if they are indeed your friends. Yeah, and and I think the one thing that I would want to be really careful to make sure that the letter writer was able to do is not in the sense of like, you know, bring it up with them and, and say like, hey, by the way, if you're mad that I'm gay now, now's a great chance to tell me that I should apologize. I, I mean, in the sense of like one of the things that's been hard about coming out is I feel weird misplaced guilt about yes. having kissed my friends 10 years ago. And part of me feels still like the the way that I was raised to think about being gay was so damaging that I feel like just the mere fact that I'm gay, like, like the idea that they would say like, oh yeah, it was fine that we kissed uh, as long as we both assumed we'd hate it. Uh, but if you were gay and of course, like if you were gay, you must've loved it. You must've super wanted to kiss me specifically. And if you had a good time now, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I just really want to say, first of all, I hope you get more gay friends. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you have a lot of gay friends right now. And I'm sure your friends are lovely people. I don't want to be too hard on anyone who 10 years ago made thoughtless jokes, uh, about girls kissing girls because, um, you know, a lot of that was in the water and I don't want to assume that that makes them all uh, jerks. But, oh my goodness, like the fact that you didn't grow up hearing a lot about consent, I, I think sometimes then when you first start to learn about it, people can feel like, oh my gosh, if I ever kissed anyone and we didn't first like sit yeah. down and have a serious heart to heart, then it was somehow wrong and predatory and I must have taken advantage of them. And I just want to say, based on what you have shared here, what you were talking about, Sounds like pretty, I, I, I don't want to say like standard college experiences because lots of college experiences can be different, but it sounds like you and your friends would sometimes get tipsy and make out and sometimes that was fraught and sometimes there was a sort of sense of how much do you mean this? I don't know. How much do you mean this? We're all straight here in a way that has more to do with like anxious, plausible, heterosexual deniability. Um, 
you know, nothing here reads like, wow, I waited for people to pass out and then I jumped on them. Right. Nothing here is is bad or wrong or or evil or secretly deceptive. And I just really what I, I just want to say is like, do some research with your therapist about the idea of the deceptive lesbian predator and find ways to recognize that archetype when it, when it rears up uh, in your emotional life. Yeah. 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 But I'm really happy for this. Like, I'm glad they were able to be honest with themselves. Although I know it's hard that they're going to have to wait this long. Do you have any advice for what they should do in the meantime while they wait for their therapist to become available? Oh my goodness. You know, look again, like look for any reading that you can about uh, like books, articles, any kind of discussion about like the, the fear of the lesbian predator. Um, I think that that will be useful to you to know that you are not the only person who has been like disciplined and terrified into the closet by that. Um, and, and particularly in the ways in which like the sort of ambient joking lesbianism of like 2002 to 2010 just like really fucked with a lot of people between like tattoo and lesbian sweep week and and I kissed a girl and everything that was just like it's straight to like girls and what that can do to someone trying to figure themselves out look for other gay people to be friends with even if you can't meet up with people in person right now Um, take your time coming out to your friends. Please, please, please do not do so apologetically or with the assumption that they're going to say, well, that really changes the time that we made out in a decade ago. Um, if they do say that, I hope you can, again, like go to your therapist, go to a gay person, get support. Like if somebody says, well, it was fine that I grabbed you at a party and kissed you when I thought we were both straight. But the fact that I grabbed you and kissed you and now eight years later you're coming out, you're now bad. That is a sign that that person does not care about you. I just like it. I just that that sentence. Nobody ever mentioned feeling uncomfortable. We never did anything more than kiss. But I feel terrible. And it's just like, yes, you feel terrible because your whole growing up years, everyone said either directly or indirectly gays are evil and bad. Sexuality does not exist. If you have sexual thoughts or desires, you're a freak. I don't know, you know, there's no way to tell what consent is because all sex is bad. It's just a recipe for feeling terrible. Of course you feel terrible. And it's not because you were running around hurting girls in college and you've only now come to realize it. Although I do want to give this writer credit. I mean, I, I really want this person to go much easier on themselves, but I do appreciate that they're taking it seriously in a, in a way that I think so many other people are like, yeah, you know, we all messed around in college. We all just experimented on each other, like whatever doesn't count. You know, I do appreciate that they're, they're giving this yeah. the weight that not a lot of other people would. Absolutely. And that they're thinking about, well, under what conditions would I hopefully like to kiss a woman now? And yeah. be, I, I think part of what they're they're saying is like, I want to know that I'm gay and I want to be yeah. like mostly sober and I want to know that we like each other and I want it to be all out in the open and discussed and acknowledged and avowed. Yes, all of that's really good. So thank you. There is a flip side to the hard stuff. I think I was really focused on the Un, undeserved shame just because I could really like resonate with that as they say and, and really felt for the letter writer but that is a helpful moment to shift and kind of close on which is that it's not bad that you think a lot about consent and enthusiasm and willingness and delight and and desire and I want that for you you can have that you have not forfeited your right to it um, the shame that you are operating under 
as a closeted, uh, confused college student did not mean that you were a bad person. And I just wish you the best right back. Let us know how you're doing. This last one, I just love super straightforward. Uh, <laughs> kind of great. Subject is, I don't want to hang out with my husband. Dear Prudence, my husband works a highly unpredictable shift job. He can be called in at pretty much any hour of the day with one day's notice, and his hours can vary from nine to seven or an overnight shift. On the other hand, I work a much more regular nine to five Monday through Friday. Lately, when my husband has unexpected bouts of free time during the day, like on a weekday afternoon, he pressures me to spend time with him. He says we should take advantage of the little free time during the week we have with each other. I definitely have slow times during the workday, and it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for me to take a few hours off to do my own thing. But Prudy, I don't want to spend this time with my husband. My job requires a fair amount of extroversion. So when I have free time during the week, I prefer to recharge on my own. I find myself trying to come up with excuses for why I need to be out of the house during these times, just so I don't have to spend my free time with my husband, who Aww. happens to not be working. His lack of... <laughs> oh, so We're keeping that just because I've never, I've never had somebody uh, just like sigh uh, in sadness when I was <laughs> Sorry. reading the letter. And it's really... It's really sweet. No, you're, you you have a very, very kind heart. Uh, his lack of routine really grates on me. I'm definitely a creature of habit. I feel bad saying, I know we never really have time off during the week together, but when we do, I don't want to spend it with you. He's objectively correct that these overlaps don't happen often, but unlike him, I don't want to, quote, take advantage of them by spending time together. What should we do? Is it bad that, like, this just... Of all the, the murderer's row of problems that you've lined up, this to me somehow feels like not the saddest, like there's no pain Olympics, but this is just indicative of a much larger, sadder, untouchable thing. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really get not liking somebody's unpredictable schedule. I am also a creature of habit. I also like a lot of time to myself, but I just don't know what to say to someone who's like, I don't really like hanging out with my husband. Like, I don't know how you solve that problem. It's a problem like Maria. <laughs> well, okay. So I was just reading Angela Chen's book, Ace. Have you read it? I have not. So it's really interesting because on its surface, it's about asexuality and asexual mm -hmm. identity, asexual history. But it takes this fascinating turn into becoming really a toolkit for everyone to have more language around all different kinds of consent. Just say, like, sometimes you don't feel romantic. Sometimes you don't feel like having sex. Sometimes you don't feel like spending time together. And all of these are fine. You know? None of these should be considered a problem. And I feel like this almost reminds me of an extremely... I mean, okay, so a huge part of her chapter in the end is she talks about people who um, don't have sexual desire or don't have much sexual desire in relationships with people who do. And this is a fairly common problem. And that because society says that it is like the healthy and correct and right thing to do to want to have sex, like you have to be this way, that it is incumbent on the 
less desirous person to like meet those needs, which is the actual opposite of the way consent works when you're not in a married relationship, you know, like it shouldn't be incumbent on the person to provide that pleasure. And so I can almost see this playing out in an even more asexual way here because we're told that like married couples love to spend all their time together, that like you're in the wrong person, writer, like you need to amend that and fix that. And I feel like this person, you know, common theme here needs to go a little easy on themselves and understand that like this is okay and like I don't know I I mean part of me wonders if there could be some sort of structured boundary time or maybe their partner doesn't know that they need that sort of introversion recharge time but I feel like they're not being vocal enough about what they need in this in this relationship yeah yeah, I think that can be useful I, I hadn't thought about applying a consent framework here and um I'm I'm not sure. I, I think I'll let you do that. I, I like the idea of taking it from two different angles because part of me is just like, man, if you don't want to hang out with your husband, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, do you like him? Like, yeah. you, you say you already don't see him that much. It doesn't sound like he's asking for you to like take him to the Crystal Palace or have sex all day so much as he's just like, you want to watch a movie or something? And you're like, no. Um, but if you two haven't talked about the shift job yet, and and how much it affects presumably both of you. Maybe now's the time. Um, and and to maybe talk about like both what are ways in which I need to have some time during the week when I know if I have downtime at work, it's mine to do with as I like and not subject to possibly you being free and then changing my plans. I really do get that. I think that's fine to have a conversation about. I also think it's not like, it's not fucked up that your husband's like, hey, I like hanging out with you. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope you can also just like, you know, don't treat it as like someone awful is asking you to dance and you're like, oh, I just, oh, I wish you hadn't even thought you could ask me. I don't want to be rude, but uh, like, I, I think it will also be fair if your husband's like, yeah, my shift job is hard on me too. I also have a hard time dealing with the unpredictability, but it's the only job I have. And sometimes I like to be around you, um. I hope you can also make some room to to meet him halfway there. And if you're like, no, that sounds awful. <laughs> Avery, as you were saying, maybe that's a good chance to ask yourself, like, do I want to change something about our marriage? Do I like my husband? You don't really go into that in the letter, letter writer. So I don't want to speculate too far in either direction. But I guess really all of this boils down to is you should talk about the elements of this that are difficult for you. You should try to come up with some sort of compromise where you both get something and you don't treat either his desire to spend time together as a problem or your need to sometimes be alone as, as a bad thing. But yeah, if you know, if you never hang out and he sometimes wants to hang out and you say no to that and you two never hang out and then you eventually grow distant, that might happen. I just feel like this is a, yeah, it's true. I mean, this is true. The the writer didn't go into a lot of detail. But I think for people who are extremely extroverted, they don't know that some people do need a lot of recharge time, you know? And they might take it personally. It sounds to me, knowing very little, that they're both just a little mystified by each other in this way. And I think this could be bridged, or I hope this could be bridged. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I also think, that's a good point because I also just want to like remind myself that like everybody is working under some of the most stressful conditions imaginable right now and have been since March. And that's for people who are like able to continue working. So I also really get that part of what the letter writer is saying is not like I'm an introvert and therefore I'm entitled to like such and such accommodations every day or I get to call my union rep <laughs> um, so much as like 
work is really difficult, really stressful. And I now have to manage a lot of expectations like from a distance remotely and while also seeming super cheerful. Yeah. And so if I get a break in the middle of the day, even my husband who I love, like I don't want to fucking talk to anybody. I want to like stare at a picture of a mountain and just like not exist for 20 minutes. And that makes a lot of sense to me, but just say what you do need and don't frame it as like, you're asking for too much. Just like, here's what I need. And then also hopefully you two will be able to find some time that you can spend together that you want to. And that would be ideal if you spent some time with your partner, (laughs) not all of your time, but some, and you mostly enjoyed it. And that's just Danny Lavery's thoughts on marriage. (laughs) Take it from me. I'm married. <laughs> it's it's possible for creatures of habit. It can be done. It can be done. And um good luck. I also hope someday maybe he can get a get a promoted to a place where he gets to tell other people that they're working a shift mm. of unreasonable hours. That's mm-hmm. not ideal either, but at least I don't know. I hope no one ever has to work ever again. Seriously. How are you doing? Speaking of Work and exhaustion and managing oh. things remotely. You've been great. You've been hanging out in a closet this whole time. Uh, oh man, recording under a tarp. It's 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 really been it's really been a pleasure. I mean, it's kind of fascinating to see where people are at. We're all. I feel like the pandemic has reduced us all to our own individual sitcoms. We all have like a rotating cast of like five characters, and it all takes place in one mm-hmm. room. And this is all just like stranger than fiction. It's kind of incredible. Mm-hmm what's playing out. How are you holding up? I would say conservatively now, ever since I learned that I actually really, really like those kinds of headphones that just stick in your ear and don't have cords. I previously (laughs) thought they were goofy and then I tried them and I was like, oh my God, I feel peace. Uh, I would say I spend mm, a third of every day just listening to those like ambient YouTube channels that are just like forest beats. It's just like (laughs) the sound of a stream and some birds and then like a drum and then like one pan flute and it's just like, Fuck yes. Oh yeah, when that pan flute drops. Live my life in like an Atlantis ambient sound, (laughs) soundscape. And um, that's how I'm getting through. That's how I'm doing it. That's your general advice to all of these people, correct? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. If your husband wants to hang out, be like, can my AirPods come? And listen to Atlantic (laughs) music and then just like nod and look happy. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Whatever gets you through the day. Avery, thank you so, so, so much. Please do have me back on anytime to talk about Lilith and any of the places that she lived on the series run, either of Cheers or Frasier. Thank you very much for your expertise on specifically Cheers. I really thank you appreciate for the offer. Yours. Today was really thorny and I really, really appreciated your thoughtfulness and your warmth. Um, it, it was sorely needed. I don't know how you do this all the time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening.
And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. When you have neighbors who you don't know very well, and you think they're hitting the dog, and you know that he's screaming at and threatening the woman, you, you, you focus on the person. You focus on the person. And, and, and maybe that just means introducing yourself to her, developing a little bit more of a friendly relationship with her. Again, if you think that you're not going to be able to do that without being snide or condescending uh, about her life or her dog, as always, observe the don't make her life worse rule, but um, maybe look for ways to just get to know her better so that she is a little bit more aware of your proximity and your closeness and and spend some time, I think, thinking about how you are ranking value and humanity when it comes to, to race and racism. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.